uh, a reality that transformed everything about them. And truly for us as well, it should transform our lives. Today, we're going to be looking at buildly, godly, or biblical discernment. It's important that we understand that we are in a battle with the forces of darkness. Now, I cannot overstate that. I really can't. Satan's intent is to destroy the work of God. His activity is all designed to follow after the work God has done and attempt to destroy it. And he does this through deception. Deception is his primary tool, his primary weapon. Jesus said that Satan was the father of lies, the originator of untruth. And so all around us, and this is nothing that is uh, only true of our generation. This has been true going back to the very beginning. And certainly even in the beginning of the church. That lies have infiltrated the people of God with the purpose of, the, the sole intention of getting people off track, diverted from a simple faith-based love relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at building biblical discernment in our lives. One of the first things that we'll see as we get into Matthew chapter 7 is the importance of self-judgment. Sometimes we look at others and we judge them, we evaluate them, and we'll talk about the fact that we're really not supposed to do that. And that first, really, of, of any kind of discernment is a discernment about our own status, our, our own situation. There was a, a bishop who once traveled on a transatlantic freighter, ocean liner, excuse me, and as he boarded the ocean liner, he went to his room and actually found that he was going to be sharing a room with another person. And after checking things out, he went down to the purser and said to the purser, I'd like to leave my, my gold watch and my other valuables with me because I have checked out my, uh, my cabin and I saw the person I'm traveling with. I'm a little uncertain about him. And the purser said, no problem, Bishop, we can handle that. As a matter of fact, uh, your traveling companion has already been down here. He had the same thoughts about you. <laughs> Isn't it true? Isn't it true? We look at other people and, and we judge them, we evaluate them, we think certain things of them, and oftentimes they're thinking the same things right back. Jesus says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, it's important to understand that as Jesus tells us here not to judge, that this is not a blanket command that we are, as Christians, never to judge. In fact, there are many instances within the Bible that we are directed to judge. 
what he's talking about here is that we are not to judge others in a condemning fashion. The word here translated judge is krinos. And what krinos means is to make a judicial determination based upon an inclusion of all available evidence. Now, when we judge other people, the simple fact of the matter is is we do not have all of the, the available evidence. When someone falls into sin, I don't know the struggle that they have had against that sin prior to falling into it. I am not aware of the degree of force that the enemy brought temptation against them. I don't know how I might have stood up under that same temptation. There is a lot of evidence that is missing. And that is why Jesus says that we are not to krinos. We are not to judge others. We are not to pronounce sentence upon them. And that is a wonderful thing. To step into the body of Christ, to step into a fellowship like this, and to not have to worry about other people judging me. Other people looking at my life and supposing that they know everything that I am going through. And likewise, that I don't look at others and suppose that I have all of the information available to me to pronounce sentence upon them. If there was ever a person who was in a position to pronounce judgment, it was Jesus Christ, wasn't it? And yet he said, I have not come into the world to condemn the world, but I have come into the world to save it. When we enter into a room with other Christians and we see dirt upon their feet, what is our first reaction? Is it to point out the dirt and say, your feet are dirty. You have been soiled by the world. Or do we walk into that room seeing dirt upon their feet, gird ourselves Bow down and wash. That's the environment that Jesus is talking about here when he says we're not to judge. We are to love. We are to serve. If we judge others critically, Jesus says, we will reap what we have sown. Others will judge us as well. Do you remember the story of David? David had seen Bathsheba bathing upon the roof. He was aroused by her. He called her to himself, and they had an affair without the knowledge of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. And of course, you all know the story. David arranged for the death of Uriah and subsequently took Bathsheba as his wife. Later, the Lord revealed David's sin to Nathan the prophet. And Nathan went up to David and told a story about a poor man who had one ewe lamb, all that he possessed, and he loved that lamb, treasured it. But a rich man who had all that he needed, had flocks of lambs, took the ewe lamb from this poor man and feasted upon it. And David cried out, 
That man should die. And Nathan looked at him and said, David, you're the man. See, David's judgment was coming back upon him. David was judging more harshly even than the law judged. And so we reap what we sow. Listen to what David said. He said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So David said, Get my heart right with you, Lord. Help me to be in that proper place of cleansing with you. Then, verse 13 of Psalm 51, I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David recognized the truth of what Jesus is saying here. That we must judge ourselves. We must evaluate ourselves first before we point the accusing finger at anyone else. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the material in the eye is the same. In one instance, it's a speck. In one instance, it's a plank. But Jesus says, how can you judge clearly the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank blocking your own vision? So deal with your own stuff. Create within yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit, a clean heart, a pure vision. And then, you know what you're going to find? That you are not pointing the finger at others, but that you are recognizing your own vulnerability, your own propensity to sin and to fall short of the glory of God. And rather than standing in judgment, in krinos, over the other person, you are going to come alongside them and help them. Love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. That's the true atmosphere that we should be allowing to foster in our fellowship. Love, not judgment, but love. A recognition of our own weakness and our need for one another. Then Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now here Jesus is making the point about the importance of guarding what is sacred. That we are not to flippantly give away that which is of great value to those who do not care, who have no interest in the truth of the sacred message of the gospel. Jesus did this himself numerous times. Of course, he taught in parables. And the point of parables was to hide a truth from the people who were really not interested who are not desiring to know the deeper nature of truth. But for the people who did desire it, they could seek after that pearl, that nugget of truth, and find it. 
There was an instance once where the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell us, where do you get the authority to do all of these things? And Jesus, recognizing that they were trying to trap him, said, I will ask you a question. And if you answer me, then I'll answer you. The baptism of John, where was it from? And they began to reason together. They say, well, if we say from heaven, then he'll say, why didn't you believe it? But if we say from from men, then the people will stone us because they all held John as a prophet. And so they said, we can't tell. We don't know. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, sometimes we are so prone to take that which is of great value and just toss it away. Jesus says here not to do that. Don't give the sacred away to the people who are going to trample it underfoot. Now, that's a a very, very uh, mature level of discernment to be able to ascertain, to perceive, to understand. Is this person I'm talking to really seeking truth? Or are they just someone who doesn't even care? Jesus said we need to discern the difference between that. So again, the whole message here this morning is developing biblical discernment, understanding the ability to divide the good from the bad, and as we mature, to divide the good from the best. In Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this to the Philippians. He says, this is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So he wants the Philippians to grow in their knowledge and in their insight into the message of the gospel. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So we grow. The purpose of coming together, having small group Bible studies, and all of the things that we do, the purpose is to grow in knowledge, to develop an understanding of the message of God, and to be able, through that knowledge, discern the difference between all of the falsehoods that are out there that you are being pounded with every day day, multiple times a day, every time you open up your, your cell phone and you, you look on the pages of Facebook or your news site or you listen to the radio or to read the newspaper, you have to be able to discern the difference between what is true, what is aligned with the message of the gospel And what is designed to perhaps very subtly distract you from following after Jesus. The simple disciple will just say, I love everybody. Everything's good. And have no discernment. And they are on the road to destruction, when they do not have the ability to discern. Yes, we do love. Love is 
the nature of God. But God is also truth. Love and truth together. Love is the flesh. Truth is the skeletal system that come together to form the body. So we have to be able to discern these things, starting with ourselves and then beginning to look at how we convey the message of the gospel to others. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only if you find it. Now, you have to understand, these are the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not a universalist. Jesus did not believe all roads lead to God. He says that we are to enter through the narrow gate. For there is another gate that we can enter in through. It's wide and it's broad, but it leads to destruction. Following up on, on what the Proverbs say, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So we have to be discerning about the message that we're taking in, the words that we are hearing, how we are digesting those, and subsequently applying those messages to our lives. Are they influencing us and how we live more so than the Word of God? Because if it is, then we may be going through that wide gate and that broad road on the path to destruction. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father but through me. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, all roads, it's like God's at the mountaintop. And as long as we climb the mountain and we continue to persist, it doesn't matter which path you're following as long as you get to the mountaintop. But that's not true. That's not the gospel. A better illustration is a chasm that is miles across that is filled with molten lava. And somehow, we have to cross over. And we have no tools with which to do that. The only way we can get to the other side is supernaturally receiving the gift of God, creating a bridge. So, there's a narrow gate. Now, that sometimes is not popular. When we as Christians tell people, Jesus is the only way. And we, we speak to them about their need for Jesus. And they will argue against that. But Jesus himself says that there will only be a few, relatively speaking, that find that narrow gate. Untold billions of souls are going to find their way to hell because they went through the wide gate. They did not discern the truth of the gospel message. And the unfortunate truth, as we'll see in just a moment, is there are a lot of people in Christian churches who are going to go through the wide gate. Yeah, they attended church. Yeah, they, they were involved in all kinds of different Christian activities 
but they did not enter through the narrow gate. This is such a critical message. It's so important that we discern the truth of what brings us into fellowship or relationship with God. It's not just attending church. It's not just repeating a catechism. It's not just stating a creed. But it's coming into personal relationship with God through the born-again spirit or experience of the Spirit of God entering into us. We'll talk about that some more in just a moment. So we need to discern the messaging we're receiving. Is it directing us towards the wide gate or towards the narrow gate? Are you able to tell the difference? Because there are those out there who are trying to deceive you. Not just misinformed people. Sometimes the message we, messages we receive uh, lead us astray from the gospel, but they come from a source that is simply misinformed. But there are others who are intentionally trying to distract us and redirect us away from simple faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus warns about that here in verse 15. Watch out. Be on the alert, he says, for false prophets. It's interesting. When, when the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming? How are we to know when you are going to come again, Jesus? The very first words out of Jesus' mouth in response to that question, is take heed that no man deceives you. Take heed that no man deceives you. Same thing here. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now this is significant because the fact that Jesus says they are coming in sheep's clothing indicates to us that they are cloaked in religious garb, perhaps even in the veneer of Christianity, as we'll see in just a moment. These false prophets are clothing themselves within the church with the message, listen to this, with the message that includes the name of Jesus Christ. With the intent of destruction. Jesus says to watch out for them. They're dressed in sheep's clothing. They look like a religious person. They speak like a Christian, but there is something within their message that we must be able to discern in order to protect ourselves from following after them. Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Of course, the rhetorical answer is no. Grapes come from grape vines. Figs come from fig trees. Every good tree, likewise, will bear good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. We'll know them by their fruit. The, the term fruit there means the inherent 
energy of the plant producing. And so, again, the inherent energy of the grapevine produces grapes. But a thorn bush produces no grapes. The false prophet cannot produce good fruit because they're a bad, they are a bad uh, energy, a bad source, a bad power, Jesus is saying. Good fruit cannot come from them. So what is good fruit? How are we to gauge in respect to the gospel what good fruit is? Simply speaking, the message of the false prophet manipulates, distorts, or takes away from the simple faith-based love relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. It's what happened with Paul and the Judaizers. Paul was out preaching salvation by grace through faith. And then along came the Judaizers, and they said, yeah, Paul's preaching Jesus, but what he's not telling you is that you must be circumcised according to the law of Moses to truly be saved. Oh, yeah, and and by the way, you also have to keep all of the ritual law in order to truly be saved. Oh, yeah, and by the way, you also have to offer sacrifice at the temple. See how, yeah, it's Jesus, but there's something else. Yeah, it's Jesus, but you need to do this in order to truly be saved. So the false prophets manipulate the message. They take the name of Jesus and they change it. Paul talked about this to the Corinthians. He said to the Corinthians, he says, if someone preaches to you a different Jesus, you're all ready to listen to them instead of understanding that there is one truth. There is one Jesus. He said to the Galatians, I'm astonished that you have so quickly left the truth of the gospel and you have believed another gospel, which is no gospel at all. Do you get how this is? They're they're using the term gospel. They're using the name Jesus. And yet the apostle is pointing out to his hearers that they are deceiving them. They are giving a false message. Their fruit is bad. By your fruit, you will recognize them. How does their message point to the Jesus of the Bible? How does their message align with by grace through faith? How does their message produce the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? That's what Jesus is saying. And if it doesn't, then there's a problem. No matter if they are the right reverend so-and-so, no matter if they've attended church since they were a child, if their message is different from the message that was given by the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, you are to walk away from that message. Because here's what happens. False prophets produce false disciples. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, these false disciples, this is a sobering passage of Scripture. Totally, totally knocks me off my feet. Let's take a look at it. First, what we can see is what does not make a disciple. What does not make a disciple? Calling Jesus Lord. Just using the name Jesus does not indicate that you are a disciple. That you have a relationship with him. Jesus says, These disciples will cry out, Lord, Lord. And yet, he says he doesn't know them. So it's not the fact that we know the name of Jesus or even that we call him Lord. It's not that we perform religious or good works. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name... Drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Now, if you just look at the at that at its face, that's some pretty impressive stuff. Prophesying in the name of Jesus Christ, driving out demons in the name of Jesus Christ, performing many miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. You know who else did all of these? A man named Judas. Judas prophesied in the name of Jesus. Judas prophesied in the name of Jesus. Judas cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And along with the other 12 and the 70, when he was sent out, performed many miracles in the name of Jesus. And yet, the testimony that Jesus gave of Judas is that it would have been better for him if he had never been born. Can you imagine the eternal punishment of Judas, the betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ? He did all this stuff. He called him Lord. He prophesied. He cast out demons. He performed miracles. False prophets produce false disciples. What makes a disciple? How do we know we are a disciple? Jesus makes it very clear in verse 23. It's by relationship. He says to these false disciples, I never knew you. Now the term there, knew, is genosko in the Greek. What it means is to be in a proving connection with someone. In a relationship that you are mutually agreed upon. So the way that you become a true disciple is through the new birth, through being born again, not through church attendance, not through the use of the name of Jesus Christ, not through religious works, but through the new birth. How am I born again, you say? How can I be born again of the Spirit? It's simple. You repent 
You turn from your sin. You acknowledge that he is the one and the true Savior from your sin. And you trust in him. All of these things that Jesus is talking about, prophesying, casting out demons, performing miracles, these are not bad things, but they must emanate from a relationship with the living God. Not a religious activity. Especially not a religious activity designed to impress others. So you you become a disciple by being born into God's family through grace, by faith. And once in that relationship, everything you do, all the activity that you partake in in the name of Jesus is blessed. Just like I read this morning from Psalm 1. It's a blessed relationship. Very, very critical information here. Building godly discernment. Understanding that you're in a a peak spiritual battle for truth. And that you must start with yourself. That you must be aware of the gospel message and its application. And be aware that there are those who are filling pulpits today, who are sitting in chairs and pews today, who do not know Jesus Christ, who do not have a saving relationship with him. So how ought we to discern? What are the tools of discernment that we must rely upon in order to protect ourselves from deception? to ensure that we not only protect ourselves, but that we can assist others who are being deceived. First and foremost is to know this word. The writer to Hebrews said, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide or discern asunder the joints and the marrow the soul, and the spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So we must know this word. And it's not enough to just carry this Bible around with you. Listen to what the writer to Hebrews says in chapter 5, verse 14. I'm going to go back to verse 11. We have much to say to you. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word over and over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So I cannot overemphasize it enough. We must be students of this book. We must get into this book and learn to rightly divide this book and apply it to situations so that we might, too, discern good from evil. 
But this book has been manipulated, has been misdivided and, and wrongly applied. And so the starting place is with the Bible, but we must also understand that without the Spirit of God, we cannot know the truth of God. I'm going to repeat that. Without the Spirit of God, you cannot know the truth of God. Jesus said that it was better for his disciples if he left them because he would then send the Spirit to them. And he said that this is the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. So it's the Spirit that helps us to take this word, to rightly divide it, to apply it appropriately. John said in his first epistle that it is the anointing or the spirit within us that is our ultimate teacher that we must rely upon to direct us, to guide us into all truth. So we start with the word of God. We rely upon the spirit of God. And finally, the fulcrum for truth is Jesus Christ. As I said, Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father but through me. He is the essence of truth. Any message that diminishes the deity of Jesus Christ, that diminishes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his his humanity, any message that makes it Jesus plus something that you have to do, Jesus with a little bit of this added in or a little bit of that taken away is a false message. Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead, is the fulcrum of the gospel. And any message you hear out there that tells you otherwise, that directs you to some other guru or some other source of truth, or that takes the name of Jesus but turns it on its head and makes Jesus the spirit brother of Lucifer is a false religion, a false truth. We've got to, church, understand that we are in a battle. And you know what? Our kids are at great risk. Our teenagers growing up who go away to college, the messaging that they will receive, very little of it is gospel truth. A lot of it is designed to diminish their trust in Jesus Christ, their faith, in the word of God. We need to be praying for our young people, praying for our children, parents, teaching them the simple truth and faith that will hold them and carry them through every circumstance in their life. But we too, we're vulnerable, us adults. We never, ever get past the point 
where we're safe. Satan's always looking to destroy. And so this is a tough message. It really is. It's a tough message. It's not an easy one to hear. To discern means to divide or to separate, to understand the difference between. And biblical discernment is discerning or understanding or dividing out what is true and what is false. In the Word, relying upon the Spirit, focused absolutely on Jesus Christ. You do those three things. I can guarantee you, you will be safe. Heavenly Father, I pray for this congregation that we would be a bastion of truth. We would be a place where people can come to any person in this congregation and know that they will hear the truth, the unadulterated truth that you have communicated to us through your word, by your spirit, in the person of Jesus Christ. I pray for each of us as we go forth, as we represent your kingdom in our community, Lord, that we would be light and darkness, that we would be demonstrations of what truth is, that we would speak boldly that which is true. Pray, Lord, that you would protect our children, our youth, especially those who are getting ready to go away to college, which is a place where so often Christians lose their faith. Pray for them, Lord, that they would hold strong in discerning truth from falsehood. We give you all the praise and glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.